Good morning. Good morning. I'm Pastor Kyle Thompson. I want to thank all of you for being here today, especially our guests who are with us or watching online or listening to our podcast. We're just especially grateful that you're here today as we talk about what it means to belong together. We do believe that we belong together. So excited to have you here. Uh, also, would invite you to come back if you're able next Sunday. We're going to have a very special guest. Uh, our bishop, Bishop Paul Leland, is going to be with us. Uh, he is in charge of over 1,100 churches, United Methodist churches here in Western North Carolina. And so uh, it's an honor to have him here. He's a new bishop, and this will be his first time being a part of our congregation uh, in person. And so he'll be at both services. So I invite you to come, bring some friends and family. Uh, the bishop is going to have a lot of cool things to tell us, I think. And so it's going to be a big Sunday next Sunday as well. Uh, just now, I invite you to join me in a moment of silent prayer uh, as we get ready to deliver what I think God's Word is today, and that it would be God's Word and not mine, and that we would hear it and allow God's story to become part of our story. Let's pray about that together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Last Sunday, we talked about how God would sometimes change a person's name in the Bible because God had a new mission for them or a new identity. We talked about the man named Jacob who became named Israel because his mission was helping to launch the people of God, the nation of Israel, and, and how important that was. And I ask all of us to think and pray about what our spiritual name might be for the next season of our, of our spiritual walk with God over the next week or month or maybe even year, and that Maybe God's calling us to have a, a, a different identity or a, a new destination or a next step in our story that, that maybe some of us need to be called internally in our spiritual walk forgiven, that it's time for us to finally allow God to forgive us. Maybe some of us, our, our new name could be sober. Maybe we've been struggling with an addiction and this is the season where God is ready to help us get through that. Maybe uh, our new name is worries less. Wouldn't that be great to have that as our spiritual name over the next season? And so um, I was thinking about that, praying about that, and I got some uh, interesting feedback from, from some of you all that uh, my spiritual name needs to be Eddie Hill, of all things. Uh, last week, uh, last Sunday, the Panthers were having their first home game, and I was getting several messages from some of you saying, have you changed your name, or do you have an alias? I'm like, no, what are you talking about? They said, well, today's game, the pastor who's going to give the prayer before the, the uh, whole game, the 73,000 uh, fans in the seats, uh, is from Sharon United Methodist Church, and his name is Pastor Eddie Hill. That... <laughs> That's not me. That's not an alias, right? Uh, Kevin Durant got in trouble for that on his Twitter account this past week, but not me. Evidently, there's a Sharon United Methodist Church at Holden Beach, North Carolina, uh, and that's led by Pastor Eddie Hill. So uh, if, if I'm preaching up a storm today and you want to say, preach it, Pastor Eddie, uh, y'all let that go today. I'm going to be Pastor Eddie Hill for that. I think that's fun. I am going to look into maybe a pulpit exchange going down to the beach. Uh, let's see if Pastor Eddie Hill can come for one Sunday, one Sunday only. No. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be Pastor Kyle Thompson at this awesome church. I want to ask a different question today. How do we know if people in our lives that we meet are rich? 
What are some of the hallmarks that, that they might be wealthy? We might, of course, say it depends on what kind of a house they live in, or maybe the, the clothes that they wear might be designer clothes, or the cars that they drive, or do they have disposable income, how they carry themselves, are they uh, working on Wall Street, or we would look for several different hallmarks to identify whether or not someone is rich or wealthy. Of course, some people can, can fool us. A lot of people have fancy cars and houses and clothes and all kinds of things, and they're not wealthy. They're in way over their heads, and they're in a lot of debt. And there are a lot of people who are wealthy and rich. You'd never know it because they live modest lives. And of course, I ask the question, what does it mean to be rich or wealthy? And the first thing that our minds go to is material wealth and material riches and you know, having wealth is not good or evil. It just is. It just depends on what we choose to do with those resources. But there's other ways of being rich. There's other ways of being wealthy that I would like to talk about today. Other ways of being rich that I think the Bible teaches us about that could be even more important uh, than material wealth or material riches. In fact, the vision that we believe God has given us is to be the spiritual crossroads of the South Park community Leading, pipe, leading people to what? Life rich in Christ. So as we think about what it looks like to be wealthy or rich in material items, what would it look like to have a life that is rich in Christ? How do we know that other people have a rich life in Christ? How do we know that we ourselves are living a life that is rich in Jesus Christ? What does that look like? That's what I would encourage us today to explore and to think about and pray about and to go home uh, and, try to, and try to think about in our own lives because this is what I believe. And I believe that Scripture says that we belong in rich relationships. We belong in rich relationships. And I think there's three types of relationships that we belong in. With God, with ourselves, and with people. God, self, and people. And I think this is biblical. So I want to jump into some scripture today and talk about where this is. So if you've got your Bibles or your phones or your tablets or you just want to look up on the screen behind me, I'm going to start in the Gospel of John. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. John chapter 10, verse 10, the second part of that. This is what Jesus says, part of why, well, really the main thrust of his, his mission on earth. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I have come that people may have life and have it to the full. Another translation would say that I have come to give you abundant life. Obviously, we interpret that here in our church to have life that is rich in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life to the full, abundant life. And I don't think that's prosperity gospel stuff to where we're going to get mansions and cars and big bank accounts. I think it's something beyond that. Right? Again, I, I think it's we belong in rich relationships. And I think the way that we live a rich and a healthy and abundant life is through relationships. And we can see that in Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 39. Now, in Jesus' day, the Bible was the Old Testament. That's all they had was the Old Testament. And so there are 613 commands in the Old Testament that say, if you love God, you're going to do these 613 things. 
So this one guy said to Jesus, how do we know which of these is most important? It's hard for me to keep 613 of these things. How do I know that, you know, what's the most important thing that I should remember? I can't remember all that. So this is what Jesus says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Love God. Be in a relationship with God. Give all of yourself to God is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So God is telling us that the most important things in, in those 613 commands, in fact, to, to summarize the entire Old Testament, to summarize the whole Bible in Jesus' day, is to do two things. To be in relationships. To be in relationships with God. To be in relationships with people. Right? But being in relationships with people... It says to love them as we love ourselves. That implies that we have a healthy love for ourselves. So we belong in rich relationships with God, with self, and with people. If you remember anything that I say today other than Pastor Eddie Hill, we belong in rich relationships with God, with self, and with people. So let's look at those three relationships that we're talking about. It all begins with the primary relationship of us and God. It all comes down to us and God. God has created us in God's image, and that's a beautiful thing. And we can be like God, and we can do great things with God, and we can love like God and forgive like God, and, and that's awesome. God has also given us the great gift of freedom of choice or free will. And sometimes we make amazingly awesome choices and we bring God and, and the people in our lives lots of joy. And sometimes we use our free will to make choices that just aren't really the best choices. And we distance ourselves from God and we distance ourselves from the people in our lives that we care about or should care about. And, and when we make those bad decisions and choices, the Bible uses a word called sin and it, it creates brokenness and separation from God and, and each other. And, and separation in the Bible is, is described as hell. And, and so we begin to experience guilt and shame and separation. And we're, we're going to experience death one day. And so we're living this dichotomous life of being created in God's image and sometimes using our free will to completely mess up that image. Right? And so this is the relationship that God is trying to restore. So I want to go into the Old Testament again, this time from the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. Uh, Isaiah was a prophet, which means that he spoke for God. Right? And, and the people of Israel have been a nation for a, a while now. They've moved way past Jacob and, and all that sort of thing. They're a huge nation now. They, they've disobeyed God. They've gone against God. They've gotten into some trouble. They've been sent into exile in a, in a country that's not their own, and they've been taken away, and, 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 and things just haven't been going well because they messed up. But God has not given up on them. And so God sends Isaiah, this prophet, this spokesperson, to go to the people of Israel and to give them hope. And this is what Isaiah says in chapter 43. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel. Remember, Jacob became Israel. Now Israel is the nation of God that's sent to bless the whole world. They've messed up. But God says, I'm coming to you. I have formed you. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have bought you back. I am making things right. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. God says, I have called you by name. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. And so we see in the Old Testament, 
the concept of grace, unmerited favor. God is forgiving the people of Israel even though they don't deserve it because God loves them. And God has created them in God's image and God has plans for their lives and and he has something better in store for them. And, And that good news is true for us. God takes it a step further. He sent his son Jesus into the world to die on a cross. And when he did that, to take upon himself our consequences. When we do wrong things, to take our guilt and our shame and our death and our brokenness and our broken relationships and our separation, this thing called hell, all upon himself so that he could defeat that when he came back to life. When God the Father raised him back to life, when when the Son came back to life, now he gives us access back to God so that we can be forgiven. And instead of carrying around guilt and shame and all that kind of junk, we can let that go and let God replace that with joy and, and with inner peace. And God can let us know that he has awesome plans for us and that we can make a difference and we can live life to the full, abundant life in this world, and then we can live forever in the kingdom of heaven. And that's God's gift to us through Jesus. And it can be ours. And so the primary relationship is God saying, I want to restore in you the full image of God that I've created you in. You've got to kind of got it stained. Help, I'm going to help you clean that up. I'm going to do it for you. I want to be in this personal, loving relationship with you. And all you have to do is accept it. Believe in my son. Turn away from your life without me. Ask for my forgiveness. I will come into you. I will forgive you and I will give you life to the full. So brothers and sisters, the most primary basic relationship to have a rich life in Jesus Christ is to receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Preach it, Pastor Eddie. (laughs) I love it. I love amens because that is worth saying amen to if you don't know Jesus. He is ready to come into your life and make all the difference. If you do walk with Jesus, to give thanks and to be grateful for that relationship and to continue to nurture it through reading Scripture and coming to worship and praying and helping, and and it's all about the primary relationship with God. We're not going to be able to love ourselves. We're not going to be able to love other people in the full capacity that God has intended until we have this relationship with God. Now, we can have relationships that have goodness outside of having a relationship with God, but they won't reach the potential that God has created us in. And the only reason that we have some goodness in these relationships is because God's working in our life before we even know who God is. Be rich in a relationship with God because God sent Jesus to make that possible. So then the next command is about loving our neighbors as ourselves. Love your neighbor as yourself assumes that we have a healthy love for ourselves. Let's think about that. Do, how many of us truly love ourselves? Right? Now, now you've probably met people uh, who love themselves a little bit too much. Uh, we call that narcissism. And I don't know that that's exactly what uh, Jesus is talking about here, where people love themselves more than they love other people. And, and, and they love themselves so much that they don't, they don't even have room to love other people. And they're just so caught up in themselves, it's all about them. And it, it just, it's sad uh, and it's problematic. And so I don't think that's the kind of love that God's talking about here. And then some of us, we, 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 just, we don't like ourselves. We don't even think we could love ourselves. It's kind of like an old episode of the comedy uh, Seinfeld where Jerry Seinfeld is this comedian and he's playing himself in this sitcom and 
Uh, he, he meets this woman, they get engaged, and then he breaks it off. And, and his friend's asking him, you know, why did you break up with her? This was a great thing, and you guys were, were going good places. And he said, well, you know, I finally figured out what it was that attracted me to her. He said, well, what was it? He said, she's just like me. Well, what's wrong with that? He said, I can't marry myself. I hate myself. And I can't have two of me running around my house. I think some of us feel like Jerry Seinfeld, that, that, that we don't like ourselves. We, we sometimes even hate ourselves. And you think, well, well, how could anybody love me? How could God love me? I can't even love myself. I, you just don't know my history, Pastor Kyle. You, you don't know where I've come from. You don't know the bad things that I've done. You, you, you don't know who I am. And that may be true. But I know that God created you in God's image, and that is good. And that is in you. God created all of us in God's image, and that is good, and, and that is in us. I know that God knows everything about us, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and He loves us anyway. And He sent Jesus into the world anyway. In fact, He sent, it, sent Jesus in the world because of that. God knows all the good stuff, and we're created in God's image, and I think we need to ask God, God, help me see myself through your eyes, that there is something special about me just because of who you made me to be. And if God can forgive us of all the bad junk and stuff that we've done in our lives, if, if the God of the universe, the Creator, right, the, the God Almighty can forgive us, why is it that we can't forgive ourselves? And so maybe some of us today need to ask God to help us forgive ourselves. That doesn't mean that, that we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we don't have problems. It doesn't mean that we're not still broken. Right? And we talked about that last week. It says God meets us where we are. And God helps us become something more. And so if there's brokenness in our lives, if there's something that we don't like that we need to work on, then God says, I can help you with that. But I love you not because of what you do or don't do. I love you because I created you in my image. And so to have a rich life, to have a rich life, it's a, it starts with a, a relationship with God. And it means that we have a healthy love of ourselves. And here's the thing, we're not going to be able to truly love other people in the way that God intends unless we have, first, a relationship with God, and second, a relationship with ourselves that's healthy. Not narcissistic, not hateful, but healthy. So maybe, brothers and sisters, the message for you today is it's time to start loving yourself and forgiving yourself and seeing yourself through the vision of God's eyes. All right, so we love God. We're rich in a relationship with God, with Jesus. We're rich in a relationship with ourselves, right? Which means that we're now able to love people, right? It says, love your neighbor as yourself. Who's your neighbor, right? Jesus boils it down. That basically, our neighbors are anyone we come into contact with. And to love someone doesn't necessarily mean an emotional connection to them. It means the way that we treat them. We treat them with the love and respect that Jesus treats all of us with, right? We don't all deserve that. But God loves us anyway, and He treats us with respect. He sends His Son into the world to serve us. And so um, I think that's a good way that we're going to think about it. Because we're going to have different levels of relationships with people. We're, we're going to love our spouses in ways that, that are different than the way that we love our barbers. <laughs> we're going to love our children in ways that, that we don't love the children that we maybe you know, see in our neighborhoods. We're, we're going to have friendships. Some are going to be really deep, and some are going to be more surfacy, and, and you know, some are going to be just to do fun things with. We're going to have all sorts of levels of relationships, but I think in each of those levels of relationships, there can be the richness of Christ's love. I think we can even have a rich relationship with the person that serves us coffee, and we never see them ever again in our lives. 
It's how we treat them when we have that 30-second or one-minute or five-minute interaction with them that says we're living a rich life and we want to share that richness with the people that we come into contact with. So we're called to love God, love ourselves, and love people. So as Christians, what are some of the, the baseline common denominators of what it looks like to love people and to love people in a rich way? I want to go to the New Testament now, to Paul's letter to the Colossians. This is going to be in chapter 3. I want you to listen for some of the hallmarks of what it looks like to love people and what it looks like to have a rich life in relationship with other people. Paul's talking about the church. Here there is no Gentile or Jew. Jesus and the disciples were Jewish. People who weren't Jewish were Gentiles. And so Paul's saying we all matter to Jesus. Circumcised or uncircumcised, that was a Jewish rite versus a non-Jewish rite. Barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all, right? So everyone is welcome in Jesus. Everyone is welcome at the seat with Jesus at his table. Therefore, as God's chosen people, as the church, as God followers, as people who love Jesus, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So rich relationships include compassion, kindness, humility, goodness, patience. We bear with each other. We forgive each other. Uh, We forgive as God forgave us. We love each other. I would add in other places in scriptures that we speak the truth in love with each other. Sometimes we have to tell each other hard truths that we don't want to hear, but that we need to hear. I think to have a loving relationship and to be in a rich relationship, sometimes we have to laugh at ourselves and we have to laugh at each other. This is not an all-inclusive passage of the Bible, but I think it's an important one, especially given the circumstances in our country and in our world. We've got to figure out a way to love each other, even when we fiercely disagree with each other. We've got to find a way to, to have a rich relationship with each other, even when we, we, we can't stand what the other person's thinking, right? But that's what it means to be rich in relationships. You know, we, we're called to be the spiritual crossroads of the South Park community, to be the neighborhood church of, of the South Park community and the, and the whole region around that. And I want to read you this amazing quote that I think, uh, as we think about people who are not in the church, that we're trying to reach people who are in our community and and that we want them to belong and we want them to have a sense of that they belong together, like we belong together, right? The whole sermon series that we've been talking about. This is from a guy named Jeff Henderson. And he says this, a neighbor-minded church allows people to belong before they believe. A neighbor-minded church allows people to belong before they believe. If we want to reach the South Park community, we've got to make a place where people want to come and and feel like they're welcome and that they matter and that they belong long before we talk about sin and death and hell and all that stuff that we believe in. But we want to create a culture where people belong together, like like where, where people can come and see that you know, why do you have a bunch of Lowe's uh, home improvement buckets out in, in your lobby today full of supplies? Because we care about people. We're going to send those to Florida and we're going to send those to Texas. Or why did you two weeks ago get together with another church and, and pack meals to feed 15,000 people? Because we're a place where we want to come together and, and we have fun and, and we do God's work and we help people and we laugh. And 
you know, why is it that you, you have students who are at the beach this week and, and they're learning about God and spending time together and having a good time? Because this is a great place to be. It's a great place to belong. Right? We want to create a culture that says everyone's welcome here. And this is a fun place. This is a serious place. And this is a place where we can agree to disagree. And this is a place where we can be a part of a small group and, and have people we can trust and laugh with and cry with and, and navigate life with, right? We're trying to create a place where people feel that they can belong. And we can explain why that is. And we can tell them because God loves you. And we can share our beliefs. But I think the world is more interested in our actions than our words, and so love is how we treat other people. And it's our actions. This is Colossians 3. And that's the way to rich relationships. So what does this look like in real life? You know, I just invite you to think about it in your own life. Which relationships would you think are rich and, and which are not? Right? When I was in college, I thought I was in two very special rich relationships. One of them was with the, the, the young lady that I was dating and I'd had a crush on her forever and just kind of like stalked her, I guess, a little too much. But uh, finally got up the nerve to go and talk to her. And we began dating and I was you know, like living the dream. And then had another group of friends, a bunch of guys we hung out in the dorm with. And, uh, and we used to go down on, to trips. We went down to Florida for spring break. And, and the guy who was hosting us down there was one of my really good friends in college. And so, you know, I had these rich relationships. And until one day that the guy that we went down to Florida with stayed in his house, one of my best friends, living on the same floors, me in the dorm, and then my girlfriend that, you know, things were going really well. You know, I thought things were going great until he and she came to me and said, you know what, Kyle, we hate to tell you this, but we've fallen in love with each other. <laughs> really? <laughs> and they did. They didn't want to hurt me, but they did, right? And so, of course, those two relationships in my life ended at that point, right? Wished them well, not really, but, uh, <laughs> you know, that hurt. And that was hard. You lose a best friend, you lose a girlfriend. And that, that's tough. And I thought I had these rich relationships and I was not ready to forgive them. And it took me a long time to forgive them. But eventually I grew, time passed, and I figured out they were meant for each other. They got married, they had children, still married, have a great relationship. Of course, I, I moved on. I eventually met my wife, Laura. We have children. We have a great relationship. And so it was okay. You can't help who you fall in love with. I get it. Just at the time, that hurt a lot. And since then, I've been able to reconcile with them. A few years after we graduated, I ran into them and, you know, I was able to say, hey guys, I'm happy for you. I know we went through a rough time and, you know, I've moved on with my life, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, we didn't dwell on it, but, but we're at peace. And I don't see them. I don't even communicate with them. We've just kind of fallen out of touch. But I was glad to end it on a positive note of we are in a rich relationship. It's a little different than what it was. Because sometimes we need to let people walk out of our lives. Sometimes we need to walk out of someone's life. We've tried to have a rich relationship. They're toxic. It's killing us and it's okay for us to move on. But I'm glad in this case that forgiveness came around. Now, of course, there was a little cynical part of me when I saw them again. Uh, when I saw my friend had put on a lot of weight and lost most of his hair, I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you could have had this. <laughs> Eddie, Eddie. <laughs> I 
but we're at peace with each other. Another rich relationship when I was in the sixth grade, I met a guy. One of his many nicknames was Tex. He put the red in redneck. <laughs> and uh, we sat next to each other in a sixth grade class, and uh, we became friends, pretty good friends. And uh, it was awkward, though, because he was not a popular kid in school. I had a lot of friends who were popular, and I had friends who weren't, and I kind of had you know, different groups. That, that God has just enriched my life that way. I don't like labels or anything like that. But in the sixth grade, it matters. There's a lot of peer pressure, and so I tried to keep our friendship on the down low, and one day he came over to my house, and uh, we were playing Star Wars, and we had our Star Wars guns. We were running around the house, and so, you know, sixth grade's kind of a, a transition time where you want to play Star Wars, but you don't want anybody to see you playing Star Wars, and so, uh, you know, across the street from me lived one of my good friends, and he was in the popular crowd, and, you know, I was just kind of hoping he wouldn't see us, and so... Uh, my friend Tex went to hide, and I was going to go find him, you know, go find the stormtrooper kind of thing. And, uh, and, and my worst nightmare came true. My friend across the street, another one of our buddies, he was popular, started coming across the street. I'm thinking, oh, no, worlds are going to collide here. And so my friend Tex was hiding, and so I'm like, maybe I can get rid of them before he comes out. And so I kind of hid my Star Wars gun, and I went out to meet him, talking real cool, you know. And, and here comes Tex, and he's carrying his Star Wars gun and my Star Wars gun. He's like, hey, you forgot this. I'm thinking, oh, no, it's like the perfect storm, right? They're going to see that I have a friend who's not popular. I'm playing Star Wars when it's not cool to do that. And you're like, right, this is, ended up to be one of the defining moments of my life. Like the worst nightmare of a six-year-old's coming true. But at the very same time, I felt such a relief to think, you know what? This is my friend. And I do play with Star Wars guns, right? So we talked a little while. They went on their own way. And guess what? They didn't care. They were still my friends. They didn't, you know, you can play Star Wars, you can hang out with the unpopular guy, whatever. I'm sure they might have talked about me behind my back. They still, most of all, remain friends. And, and I was just had the roof like, and I, this can be my friend out in the open, you know. And so it was a grace-filled moment. And it began a lifelong friendship where we stayed friends and we'd get together and eat pizza and play video games and uh, I had to move at the end of my, my ninth grade freshman year of high school. It was a hard time to move, and he, he, you know, he helped us move, and we continued to stay friends. When he was in college, both of his parents were diagnosed with cancer at the same time, and I, I went to sit and, and be with him, and, and God, praise God, he, he, you know, he healed them and got them through that. And then my friend got married and had a child way before I was married or had kids, and he, he involved me into his family and let me be a part of that. And and he asked me to be the godfather of his son, whom he named after me. Not Eddie, but Kyle. <laughs> Man, that is humbling. And then his father recently died, and I, I did the funeral service. So this is a lifelong friend. This is a rich relationship. And it's rich because the more I've grown to love God, and, and the more I've grown to know and understand myself, it helps me love text even more. And I'm a rich man because of that. Not because of what I've done or what I deserve, but because God has shown me what rich relationships are. And I am blessed in rich relationships. I have a rich relationship with my wife. That's incredible. With my boys, my family. I have a rich relationship with a few pastors who were ordained the same time as me. And we've been in this together for 20 years. And if I call on them for, to celebrate a joy or because I'm bawling my eyes out because something's happened, man, they're there for me. I have rich relationships with you all. Right? We've, we've been in ministry together 
for five years I've been here, and man, we've seen a roller coaster of ups and downs, and, and sometimes we've laughed and been on top of the world, and sometimes we've cried, and sometimes you've been mad as hell at me, and vice versa, and, and we've gotten through it because we care about each other. And we recognize that we're not perfect, and we have frailties, and we have gifts, and, and we want to do life together. And we want, to, we want to share this with our community, right? We're tearing down our 50-year-old church building so that we can say to people, there's a place for you here, and we, we care about you. We want you to experience these rich relationships in your life. So what kind of relationships are you in? You know, I've done a lot of funerals in my life, a lot of memorial services, and it's a mixed blessing. There's a lot of grief, and there's a lot of hurt in that. But there's also a lot of celebration. There's a lot of hope looking forward to what's next for us in the kingdom of heaven. And, you know, I think there are a couple of things that we can say about people that I think I would want people to say about me when I'm dead. One, that he loved the Lord and, and he served God. And two, that he loved people and that he was rich in relationships. You know, at funerals, we talk about what people did and where they were from and things they liked and all that stuff's important. But the most important and powerful thing that I think that I can say about someone, especially when it's true, is this person was rich in relationship. They love God and they live life to the full. They love people. And I want you to look around the sanctuary and I want you to see the people that are here, of lives they touch, right? Because we mourn them now, but we celebrate our relationship. That's what we miss is the relationship. We don't miss you know, what they did or where they lived or what they wore as much as we miss the person, and the relationship that we have, and we have the hope that we'll see them again in the kingdom of heaven. That's what I want people to say about me when I'm dead, is that man was rich in relationships. We belong in rich relationships. We belong in rich relationships with God, with self, and with each other. Brothers and sisters, be rich. Be rich in relationships in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.